56, if you will. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah chapter 57. <clears throat> I had a message ready Wednesday night, and up until about an hour before the message, uh, just was certain that was it and had no problems. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like that was not the right message for the night. Not really sure why that happened, but we ended up going a different direction Wednesday night. And so we're going to have a, a warmed-over message this morning. You get the leftovers from Wednesday night, uh, what we had ready. And uh, I hope it will be a help and a blessing to you this morning. Isaiah chapter number 57, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 15. Isaiah chapter 57 and verse number 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts. Lord, we long for you to do a work, something that we can rejoice in and give praise to you. Lord, something that we can look at and say there's no explanation other than you did something. And Father, I pray that today would be that day that we would look at this day and say, oh, what a joy it has been to be here in this place, hearing your word preached in the fellowship of these folks, the songs that have been sung, and Lord, how it has already encouraged and strengthened our hearts. And then, Lord, as we look in your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit will stir us and Lord, may you use your word in a powerful way that may not return void. Your Holy Spirit can do its work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find here in the book of Isaiah that God is the one that sits, the Bible says, in the high and holy place. But he says this, that he is with him, of, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. I, I've talked to a number of preacher friends of mine over the years, and uh, I love reading history and, and stories of great sweeping and moving revivals. I'm talking about revivals that would take over whole countries and sometimes even uh, go overflow into other continents and cross the seas even. And uh, you see, uh, read some of those stories and the glory of God that was given during that time period and the power of God resting upon people. So much that Charles Finney, one of the great revivalists, <coughs> walked into a textile mill one day. And uh, I believe it was in Rochester, New York. And uh, walked into a textile mill and all the equipment and machinery was was uh, very loud and, and you couldn't hear. And the fellow that was giving him a tour of the factory, they were hard, hard to talk to each other. And as he went through the place, he looked at different men that were there working. And uh, the story is that they've been having such great revivals in the city that when Mr. Finney walked through the textile mill, that men began shutting off their machines and kneeling down with tears on their faces, asking him how to be saved. And the power of God was so strong in that place. Can I tell you this? I long for those days again. I long for them in my own life. I long for them in the life of our church and people that can see the power of God being used in an unfettered way, in a way that is unquenched and ungrieved. 
And yet we get so busy, it seems, in life, don't we? That seems to be usually the biggest case. We get so busy, we get uh, tied up with so many things that we do not seek for the power of God like we used to. We are, our hearts many times grow cold. It's amazing to me how many times that I look in my own life that, that my heart has grown cold and stagnant. How many times God has had to bring me low or stir my heart in a unique and a supernatural way to kind of get me back to where He needed me to be. And the truth is, if we were to take time this morning and go around the room and have people give testimony, I think there would be many of you that could relate to these things and say, yes, there's been times that I've been uh, on the mountaintops and on fire for God and it seemed like God was working and His power was on me. And then other times that we look at in our lives are cold and barren and fruitless. And I tell you this, I long for those days of great revival. I long for God to do something Amazing. In the early 1900s, there was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts, for 11 years, would wake up at about 4 o'clock every morning and begin praying for 11 years for God to send revival. God didn't send it until Evan Roberts was 27 years old. Can I tell you this? That means Evan Roberts was 16 when he began laboring in prayer for revival. We don't know a lot of 16-year-olds in this day and age that labor in prayer for revival. Can I tell you this? We don't know a lot of 60-year-olds today that labor in prayer for revival. He began to pray, and he was not, de he was not deterred in his praying. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't get resigned to the fact that God wasn't going to send it. He just, by faith, continued to pray. One day in a service that he was preaching in, 27 years old, a young teenage girl stood up. In the testimony time of the service, with tears coming down her face, she said, I love God with all my heart. And next, another lady stood up, and then another, and another. And a great revival began in that service with Evan Roberts. And we know it now today is the great Welsh revival that went all through the land of Wales. Many hundreds and thousands of souls that came to know Christ as a result of that. We're living in what I believe to be the last days. And if there's ever a time that we need revival, it's today. There's ever a time that we need God to move in a mighty way and, and not rely upon our strength to do the work that God's given us to do, but to let Him do a supernatural work through us. Can I tell you, it's today. Leonard Ravenhill made this statement about revival. He said, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. As long as we're content... To live without revival, we will. That means our hearts have got to become stirred for it. There's got to become deep conviction. There's got to become times of, of great uh, yearning of our hearts. There's got to become times where literally we are broken. We come to Isaiah chapter number 57 and we find that God is willing to revive the hearts of two different people here. And I, yet I believe they're one and the same. He says, I'm willing to bring revival, and I will bring revival to the humble 
And notice he says this, he says also, I will bring revival to him who is of a contrite heart or the contrite ones. There are several things that mark revival. I want us to look at them here very quickly. I think sometimes we get uh, misunderstand the idea or the concept of revival. I've, I've, uh, I've watched and I've been a part of one revival, one true God-given revival in my life. It lasted two years. It was an amazing thing to go through. And can I tell you this, that uh, there, was, there was a misunderstanding, I think, and there continues to be, of what revival is and how we go about having revival. A lot of uh, times down south we'd have uh, meetings, camp meetings. Everybody always had special meetings. Up here we have some too. I'm not against special meetings. I think there's times it's good for us to have another preacher come in and stir our hearts and, and uh, do some things that I believe that sometimes a pastor, uh, you, you get used to hearing me all the time. You hear my voice. You see my face all the time. And sometimes it's refreshing to have a new person come in and fill the pulpit from time to time. But can I tell you this? We cannot create, nor can we plan revival. We don't set it down with the calendar and the deacon board or the church membership and say, uh, I'll tell you what, on January the 17th or on, or on uh, February the 28th, 2021, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's do this. We're going to start revival services. And I'll tell you this, we may call them revival services. But we cannot plan, nor can we create revival in the hearts. I heard years ago a fellow that used a, defin a definition of revival, and he said, really, all we can do is set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon them. I think that's one of the best, decisions, the best uh, uh, definitions of revival that I've ever heard in my lifetime. That we live in such a way that we get our hearts in such a place that we have absolute surrender and yieldedness to the moving of the Holy Spirit, that should He choose to pour out His power and His blessing upon us, the sails are already set to catch His wind. They're already set to be able to do what He's... We're not in a place where we're hindering or grieving Him. But should He choose to do it, He can do it. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter number 53, I believe it was, or, uh, he said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Oh, that we would have some Christians that would yearn and long for revival again. I I'm not talking about talking to preacher and saying, let's have some uh, special music and let's have a new preacher come in. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some Christians that will make it the throb of their heart and the desire of their heart to rise early in the morning or late at night and to be in agony and labor over prayer and say, God, would you please send revival? How long has it been since our hearts cried out for revival? How long has it been since we did without a meal or, or we, we went to our prayer closets and lost all track of time as our hearts were broken for revival? I mentioned to you Charles Finney, probably one of the greatest men that I know of in regards to revival. He went to Rochester, New York, and over a period of four weeks, 100,000 people trusted Christ as their Savior. In four weeks. 
It was amazing to see how many churches were started up and down the eastern coast of the United States under the preaching of Charles Finney and the revivals that he had. Many of those churches are still found today. You can go to them historically, find out they were begun out of revivals from Charles Finney, and you'll find out that out of the the vastness of those churches, the vast majority of them are doctrinally sound to this day because God used a young man that had a burden and a desire for revival. And can I tell you, it was not Charles Finney. I'm not saying Charles Finney didn't have a burden. But I've shared with you the story. I've given out booklets for you to read of a man by the name of Daniel Nash who found Charles Finney in the early years of him being in revival. Charles Finney was traveling. He couldn't hardly get enough meetings to fill the slots and the times. God was really just not doing a whole lot with his ministry. And Daniel Nash found him. He said, Brother Finney, I'd like to get your schedule and I'd like to go ahead of you and begin praying for the revival days and weeks before. Daniel Nash would rent a place, usually a room or a basement or a cellar somewhere that he could rest and reside in and would give himself to laboring and battling in prayer many times in the wee early morning hours and until the late midnight hours. It was said that there were times that he would pray for 16 hours straight, prostrate on the ground, pleading with God to send revival. There was a time where he went into a town a few days before Brother Finney He took a young man by the name of Abel Clary with him. They rented a room, locked themselves in it, began to labor in prayer. When Brother Finney got into town, the lady met him and said, Do you know Daniel Nash and the young man that's with him? He said, Yes, I do. She said, I wish you'd come check on him because we've been knocking on the door and there's unusual sounds in there. You hear him weeping and crying and groaning. She said, we think there's something wrong and the door's locked from the inside. Sir, would you come check on them? And he said, you let them alone. For they're laboring in prayer. For seven years, God stirred the hearts of people under the preaching of Charles Finney and under the prayers of Daniel Nash. After seven years of revival work, Daniel Nash passed away, went home to heaven. Charles Finney continued on the revival trail, but the revivals were over. Three months later, he took a pastorate. Charles Finney, in his biography, tells of the great importance that he placed upon the prayers of Daniel Nash. The question this morning is, where are the Christians that have that kind of a desire to see God at work? Where are the prayer warriors? Where are those whose hearts are burdened for revival? I understand we've got to make a living. I understand we have work to do and things that take our time. But oh, that we could give our hearts to this thing of revival. Folks, if we're ever going to do anything for the Lord, we need to do it now. Because I'll tell you this morning, on the authority of God's Word, Time is short. 
Uh, you say, Brother Greg, do you think the Lord's coming back in your lifetime? Absolutely. I, I tell you, I go to bed every night disappointed that He didn't come today. I, I, there's, I don't know that there's a night now in, in these last few months that I don't go to sleep thinking, Lord, I'm disappointed that You didn't come tonight. But even if God does not come back and I die a natural death, can I still tell you this? Our time is short. We don't have the guarantee of another day. We don't have the guarantee of another year or another month, another decade. And folks, if we're ever going to do something for the Lord, we need to do it. If we're ever going to have the power of God resting upon us, if we're ever going to see Him use us in a mighty way, we need to get serious about it today. We need to get on with it today. We need to get moving on it today. I said a couple of weeks ago, one of the great lies that Satan tells Christians, he doesn't come and say, don't ever do it. He usually just comes and says, don't do it today. You can always do it later. Just don't do it today. I've seen him do that with people that needed to get saved. They've been under conviction. They knew they weren't saved. They needed to trust Christ as their Savior. And, and in the midst of all that, and their hearts are being drawn to the Lord, that Satan comes to their heart and says, don't do it today. You can do it later. And I tell you this, if we're ever going to do anything for the Lord, we need to do it today. We need to begin praying for revival today. We need to begin serving Him today with a heart that is yielded. We need to start having compassion, lifting our eyes on the, on, the, on the fields and looking out and seeing the whiteness of the harvest. Being able to see that there's a world out here that is so in desperate need of God's people to have His power resting upon them once again. This world is so tired of Christians that are powerless and anemic. Oh, that we would have God's power upon us. That we would see great revival spread. Isaiah says, I dwell in the high and holy place with Him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Can I tell you if several things will happen with revival? Number one, there will be repentance. <coughs> there will be repentance. I... Uh, When I was growing up, I always thought that revival was for the lost. Revival was for the backslidden. It was only as I got up in years and began to understand the concept of our hearts being stirred, I began to realize that revival is for God's people. Revival is something that needs to begin in us. We can pray for revival, but if we don't allow our hearts to be stirred, if we don't allow our hearts to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, revival is, is far from us. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Second Corinthians chapter number seven.
verse number 9. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Can I tell you this? There are a lot of Christians, and I included many times, that are sorrowful of our sin and our failures. There is a difference between being sorrowful and being repentant of. When I was a kid, if I got in trouble, and I knew my dad was going to pull that belt off and give me a whip, and I was really sorry. I remember many times, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I won't ever do it again. These are all things I would try to say. Trying to get him to have mercy and not give me the whipping. But there was a difference, and my dad understood that, between me being sorry for what I had done and being repentant of what I had done. Can I tell you that we live in a day where a lot of Christians are sorrowful at what their failures are. But revival does not come with just sorrow. Revival comes from repentance. I'll tell you this, I think sorrow is necessary for repentance. If we don't have sorrow over our failures, I don't know that repentance will ever come. But there needs to be a changing of our hearts, a changing of our minds. I've far too often done it myself and hurt others. That When we have sinned against God or failed God, to make statements like, well, God knows my heart. The sad thing is, He does. And He knows that most of the time we're sorrowful, but we're not repentant. Somebody said years ago, you can't keep doing the same thing you've always done and expect a different result. In order to affect the future, you have to disturb the present. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. If there's no revival, then my heart's got to change. Something's got to be done. There's repentance involved. Not just of the ungodly and the lost and those that are not saved, but of God's people. Those of a humble and a contrite spirit. Number two, there needs to be a revival of Christ being preeminent in our lives. There needs to be a revival of Christ being preeminent in our lives. Matthew chapter number 6, I love very much. Verse number 33, I've quoted it often. But seek ye... What's the next word? Some of you that know it. First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness... All these things shall be added unto you. It's amazing to me how little it seems like, even in, even in Christian circles, that we truly give Christ first place. We give Him a place, and many times we even give Him a very high place. But can it truly be said of you and I that He has the preeminence? 
It's amazing to me how often, even though I know these things, how often I fail in them. Jesus was teaching one time, and three men mentioned to him. In fact, the first one came and said, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus shared with him just a small part of the cost of following him. And we never hear of that man ever again. Jesus calls to the second one. He says, I want you to follow me. He's the only one of the three that Jesus actually called to. The man said, Yea, Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. But let me first. And he had some things he needed to do. And we never hear of that man ever again. The third man comes to Christ. And he says, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus told him again a little bit of the cost of following him. He said, but let me first go do this. And we never hear of him again. The problem with all three of these fellows was not an unwillingness to follow Christ. The problem with each of these three men is they were not willing to follow him first. They may have given him even a high priority in their lives, but they didn't give him preeminence. Can I tell you this? When revival comes, he'll have the preeminence in our life. He'll have first place, not just a place. Number three, because of the position that he has in our hearts, number three, there will be an exaltation of Christ. We will lift him up. We'll proclaim him everywhere we go. We'll have a renewed vision and view of who he is in our lives. We'll live every day with the conscious recognition of this great and mighty God that we have. Look with me, if you will, back in Isaiah chapter number 57. <clears throat> Notice what he says here. As Isaiah's telling the folks who it is that's speaking here, he says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Can I tell you this? We need to get a renewed vision, don't we, of who God is. When He has the preeminence in our hearts, I find that that's not hard to do. But when He begins to drop down the list of priorities in my life, He becomes more and more faded. I don't see Him as clearly as I used to. Number four. There will be intercessory prayer. We will begin not only asking God to work in our hearts, but we'll begin to pray that He would work in the hearts of others. Begin to plead, Lord, I know this one that's not saved. Our hearts will be broken, will be stirred to labor in prayer for others. To give our hearts to them. To be moved with compassion. 
would be laboring in intercessory prayer. Number five, there will be a, a surrender of our will and our life. There will be a surrender of our will and our life. Isaiah chapter number 6. I quoted this a moment ago. I think I said it was Isaiah 53. It's Isaiah chapter number 6. Verse number 8, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Can I help you with something? It's been a great help to me over the years. I still fail at it, but it's something that we ought to strive for. When Christ has the preeminence in our life, it is not hard for us to exalt Him. It is not hard for us to intercede in prayer for others. And can I tell you this? It is not hard for us to surrender our will and our life to Him. When we have a proper view of God, there will be a difference. There will be a difference. Our hearts will begin to break, begin to have compassion. Not just a concern, but compassion for those that are lost. And number six, there will be evangelizing and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, going to, it's just going to come out. You can't have that much filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. When I was a kid, we used to sing a little song in Sunday school. Running over... Running over, my cup is full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. My cup is full and running over. We need to, we need to be so full of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that if anybody jostles us, it just spills out everywhere. These are things that are I, I think they're attributes of revival, characteristics of it. But I know that they're all things that are necessary for revival. I wish I knew who said this. I wrote a quote down here. But he said, When revival comes, ministry will flow from our hearts to our hands. We will not only love the gospel but we will share it. Oh, that we would, we would be burdened for revival again. And I'm not talking about us saying, boy, let's, Pastor, let's have a special speaker. Let's have some revival services. I'm not, I'm not talking about us saying, boy, let's, let's, let's just have a, a, you know, a good music brought in here and it'll, it'll really get, us our, get our hearts stirred. Let's go to our prayer closets. And long and yearn for revival. And labor and prayer. That God would begin right here. Break my heart. Stir me afresh and anew. 
Oh, that we would long for that again. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless and use the preaching of it. Lord, for a long time, many of us have been content to live without revival. And Lord, I'm convinced that as long as we are content to live without it, we will. So Father, may we be discontent. May we have a heart that longs and yearns for it. May we have a a, a mindset that it will take the first place in our hearts, our minds. That it will be the thing that we labor for. We pray for. We yield ourselves to you, give you the preeminence. Lord, may we may we seek for this in our lives. And may we see great things accomplished because of it. Bless the invitation, Lord, use it as you would see. Deal with our hearts. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know that they're saved, Father, please, please help their hearts to see that need today that they can get that settled today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We're going to have the piano and organ play just a hymn or two of invitation.